We spend tens of billions of dollars each year on medical research. What do we need to do differently to make sure this research creates better treatments and cures for patients? Welcome to this special report on future medicine on ReachMD.com on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and joining us to discuss the need to overhaul the way we undertake medical research to drive better treatments and cures to patients is Mr. Scott Riccio, founder and director of Accelerate Progress, a not-for-profit organization dedicated to increasing the speed and efficiency of the systems that directly impact patients fighting cancer and other life-threatening diseases. And Dr. Scott Gottlieb, resident fellow of the American Enterprise Institute and former deputy commissioner for medical and scientific affairs at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. For purposes of full disclosure, I am a recent addition to the policy advisors for Accelerate Progress. Mr. Riccio and Dr. Gottlieb, welcome to Reach MD. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. So, Mr. Riccio, when was Accelerate Progress founded and what are its aims? Accelerate Progress was founded a little over a year ago. I was sitting at the dinner table with my wife and said, you know, there's clearly a need to focus on what we thought of as better policy and better science. That the system that we use to translate benefits in clinical progress, these new therapies for patients fighting life-threatening diseases, the system we use to translate that progress in the clinic into patient benefits is in dire need of overhaul and modernization. And so that's really what formed the background for Accelerate Progress. Dr. Gottlieb, what got you to be involved in this? What in your background led you to have those same kinds of conclusions? Well, when I was at the Food and Drug Administration, we were trying to work hard on incorporating what we felt was better scientific principles into the development process for drugs. When you look at the way drugs are developed today, there's a lot of very new, very interesting science going into the development of actual molecules. But then when the molecules reach the development stage and reach the regulatory process, the scientific principles that we're using to evaluate those molecules are very old. In some cases, they're decades old. In some cases, you look at certain therapeutic spaces, they're 50 years old. And so we're not leveraging a lot of what we're learning about the science of genomics and proteomics and better statistical techniques, better clinical trial methodology into the way that we develop medical products. And this has been a particular obstacle in the cancer product space. And I think we've really reached a point where the science that's coming into the pipeline is so advanced and it's bumping up against a process that's so outdated that the process itself has become an impediment to getting products to patients. And this is one vehicle, a very important vehicle, I think, for trying to address some of these problems. So, Dr. Gottlieb, give us a specific example of what you're talking about, where the system evaluating the drug or the molecule or the concept isn't as advanced as the molecule itself. Well, I'll give you one example. We don't have a good process for doing what I would call enriched clinical trials inside the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for allowing sponsors to overrepresent patient populations in clinical trials for markers that might predict their propensity to respond to certain treatment. So a lot of the drugs that are going into development right now are very targeted therapeutics, targeted against specific markers, specific aspects of tumors. So let's focus on cancer. And yet when they reach the development process, we as regulators still say, well, you have to study the drug in all patients with breast cancer or all patients with colon cancer, rather than saying you should study the drug in patients who overexpress a certain marker or a certain characteristic that you're trying to target with the drug. And that would be called an enriched clinical trial. We haven't really articulated how we would enable sponsors to do that. So the science is there for enriching clinical trials on the basis of markers that could help predict response to a treatment, yet the regulatory process hasn't been set up to do that. So the science hasn't been translated into policy 
policy, if you will. That's one example where I think that the process itself, the rules that we've set up, the policy that we've established, hasn't really caught up with the science. So you're saying, for example, we test a drug on a thousand general breast cancer patients and it has a 12 percent efficacy in helping. And we say 88% of the patients aren't getting better. This drug is a failure. And what you're saying is we have to find a way of finding the 12% or 20% that this looks like it's going to help and get a 50, 60, 70% success rate and know the drug's going to work. That's exactly right. I mean, there's many advantages to trying to pursue this approach. First of all, you're not exposing people to a drug that they're unlikely to get a benefit from. So if you can find the patient's who are more likely to benefit or at least set up in a clinical trial a set of tests to try to determine what characteristics can predict who's likely to benefit. By the time you're done developing the drug, you'll have more information about how to prescribe the drug more appropriately. So you're not giving it to a lot of patients who aren't going to benefit. When you look at a lot of the targeted therapies that have been put into development in recent years, when you look at traditional chemotherapy, where a traditional chemotherapeutic agent is after all, it's a poison, you get a variable response. Some people respond a lot, some people respond less, and it forms sort of a bell-shaped curve because different people have a different level of response to an agent that you know is generally targeting the cancer cells. But in the case of a targeted therapy, you see much more of a binary response in a clinical trial where it's all or nothing. And so in some cases where drugs have been put into development, you see exactly that. You see a 10% response where 10% of the patients do very well, and the other 90% get almost no response at all. And so the trick is to find the characteristics that could help determine who the 10% are going to be. There have been examples where we've studied broad populations of patients and we see a very small cohort having a very robust clinical response. But then when you look at the averages under the old frequentist model for doing clinical trials, it doesn't reach statistical significance because 90% of the patients don't respond. 10% of the patients respond a lot. When you average that out, you don't reach your threshold for getting the drug through development. We need to find ways to allow a flexible framework for doing more enriched, adaptive approaches to clinical trials where you can test uh, theses about who's likely to respond in the context of the clinical trial itself. These models for doing clinical trials exist. There's been a lot of science developed over the last five to ten years about how to incorporate different methodology to clinical trial design, but the models that we still use as a regulatory matter are still the models that we used, let's say, 40 years ago, even though the science of statistics itself has undergone a lot of advance. So, Mr. Riccio, is the government one of your targets of policy change, and how will you go about taking this information that we have gathered over the last five to 10 years and moving it from concept to practice? Absolutely, Bruce. Certainly the government is a focus of ours in the sense that you're looking at federal policymakers and trying to help inform policy. You know, I think part of the issue that we faced over the last few years is that you know, there are a lot of different constituencies involved in this system. Dr. Gottlieb touched on the different folks, both on the regulatory side of the equation and also in industry, and there are folks in academia doing research, and there are folks who have a, an expertise in biostatistics, and there are folks, in fact, you know, to do the sorts of equations that we need to do and, and the computational power. I mean, there are whole, you know, computer technology folks that we need to bring to the table. So there are many constituencies that we need to bring together, and that's really what Accelerate Progress is focused on, saying that we're going to reach out to those constituencies. We're going to bring expertise from all of the different folks, you know, whether they're regulators or industry or academia or patients treating patients, physicians who treat patients, physicians who do research, all of those constituencies, and we're going to be the independent body that brings them together, beholden to none. And I think that's important that we can maintain the independent expert credibility to help inform policymakers because, you know, one of the challenges they face is they hear a lot from specific constituent groups about 
how the policy might affect them or how changing the status quo might affect them. And these policymakers clearly are looking for someone to provide an independent expertise to say, you know, help me understand, help me think about a policy that could bring everybody, let's say, a half step closer to a solution. So what are some of the things that Accelerate Progress has accomplished since its inception a year ago? I think that really one of our greatest accomplishments has been bringing together a truly world-class advisory board. People who essentially, we went out and thought about if we're going to try to inform policy and also bring some leadership to what I call better science, and Dr. Gottlieb talked a little bit about that, whether that's enriched trial design and that enriched trial design is informed by Bayesian analyses or if it's work in biomarker identification and validation and, and other sorts of modern science pieces. If we're going to do those things, we really need to bring together the best people across a whole variety of disciplines. And so we went out and have looked for and brought together, I think, just a tremendous group, people who in many cases literally have written the book in their particular area of specialty. But beyond that, and I think this is important, They've gone from thinking about something, writing about something, let's say biostatistics or Bayesian analyses, and they've built a lifetime of practice, of knowledge in the system. What's it like in the real world? And that's really important, I think, to inform policy because at Accelerate Progress, we said we want to go beyond the traditional policy organization that puts together a thoughtful white paper and puts it out there and and that's it. We want to make sure that that policy is thoughtful, defensible, but also actionable and implementable, that this is something that could inform policymakers where they could take this and say, here's something that we understand could be realistically implemented and would benefit the system. So, Dr. Gottlieb, Mr. Riccio just described Bayesian analysis. Could you tell us what it is and use it as an example of how we might go from thought to implementation to actually affect what's going on for patients and for clinicians? When you look at the way we design clinical trials, we use what I would refer to as the old frequentist model, which the idea was to try to hold as many variables unchanged as possible. So you you have two groups of patients, you try to make those two groups of patients look exactly alike. And the only variable that changes between two groups is whether or not they get the active treatment. That's the old frequentist model. That works very well. It's a very pure statistical way of trying to evaluate two different approaches to care. And one of the reasons why historically that model developed was because we didn't have the quantitative tools to measure multiple variables changing across the population at one time. So we had to hold as many variables as constant as possible, age of patients, other comorbidities they might have been affected by, other treatments they were on. We wanted the only variable that changed to be whether or not they got the act treatment that we were investigating. What Bayesian types of approaches allow, and Bayesian statistical approaches is a school of statistical thought. It's in wide use in sort of in financial services, for example. What it allows you to do is look at multiple variables changing simultaneously across the population. So rather than holding everything constant and only changing one thing between two groups, you can change multiple things. And by using Bayesian types of approaches, one thing that enables you to do is to look at retrospective data, look at historical data and make better use of it to try to draw firmer conclusions from retrospective data rather than only looking prospectively. And it also, statistical approaches, Bayesian types of statistical approaches allow you to look prospectively in data sets that aren't held 
in a sort of rigorous fashion, if you will, that you don't have a randomized population where you're controlling the two groups very actively as you do in a traditional clinical trial. So what this enables you to do is use things like prospective registries or databases of patients in a large payer system where you can look prospectively at a large database. You don't have to randomize patients to different treatments. You can just look at the entire patient population and try to draw conclusions about a new medical treatment based on what you're observing over a broad population. I'd like to thank our guests, Mr. Scott Riccio and Dr. Scott Gottlieb, for joining us to discuss the need to overhaul the way we undertake medical research. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and you've been listening to a special report on future medicine from ReachMD.com on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire interview library available through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-639-6157. And thank you for listening.